Hey there! Welcome to Join the Conversation, the Falvey Memorial Library One Book Podcast. I'm your host, Daniela Snyder, a graduate assistant in the Communication and Marketing Department here at the library and a graduate student in the English Department at Villanova. For the 2019-2020 academic year, the One Book Committee selected the national bestseller, I Will Always Write Back, How One Letter Changed Two Lives, written by Villanova alumnus Martin Gonda and Caitlin Ali Frirenka. The true story of an all-American girl and a boy from Zimbabwe and the letter that changed both of their lives forever. It started as an assignment. Everyone in Caitlin's class wrote to an unknown student in a distant place. Martin was lucky to even receive a pen pal letter. There were only 10 letters and 50 kids in his class, but he was the top student, so he got the first one. That letter was the beginning of a correspondence that spanned six years and changed two lives. In this compelling memoir, with an updated epilogue for this edition, Caitlin and Martin recount how they became best friends and better people through their long-distance exchange. The One Book Committee hopes that themes raised by this novel will permeate into academic work, service, and general conversations throughout the rest of the academic year. Falvey Memorial Library is the perfect place to start this academic dialogue and exchange between students, faculty, staff, and administration, and to encourage many voices to join the conversation. To find more content like this, you can find our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter in the podcast description. In this episode, the first of our three-part series, we discuss Caitlin and part one. We spend some time thinking about how this book could influence the Villanova University students who read it and how we can take the message of this very international book and apply it locally, thinking about our country, the greater Philadelphia area, and even the Villanova community. We try to answer the question, what should we as a university do after reading this book? So today I have with me two wonderful people. Uh, Would you mind introducing yourselves? Sure. I'm Crystal Lucky, and um, I'm Associate Professor of English, and I'm also the Associate Dean for Baccalaureate Studies for the College of uh, Liberal Arts and Sciences. Awesome. And I'm Sarah Wingo. I am the Librarian for English Literature, Theater, and Romance Languages and Literature, and I've been at Falvey for six years now. Cool. Well, I'm really glad you guys are here with me today. Uh, I couldn't have imagined two better people to sort of start this off with. Um, And I think we can have a really good conversation about this. This book is so interesting, right? And I'd love to hear, like, your sort of initial impressions, sort of maybe when the book was announced. I wasn't on campus when the book was announced, so maybe what you think about it. I don't know. Did you guys know Martin Gonda? No, you wouldn't. I I always knew about him, so I had heard about Martin's relationship with various folks on campus, and um, I was here when he was here, but I somehow never got the chance to run into him. So I actually was very excited when I saw that we had adopted the book mm-hmm. for the One Book program because mm-hmm. I had actually been wanting to read it sure. and had heard mm-hmm. so much about Martin. Mm-hmm. So That's awesome. Yeah. Are you happy that you now get to know a little bit more about a story? Absolutely. I, I Absolutely. And I, you know, as I was reading it... Um, I was so struck by the differences in their experiences, but the way that their friendship is so authentic Mm -hmm. in the way that friendships develop through either pen pals or, and I I was going to say even 
relationships that develop through writing, Mm -hmm. um, even differently than, let's say, text messaging or emails where um, you don't see the person, but there's more of an immediacy. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the ways that this relationship is characterized. It's characterized Mm -hmm. by waiting. Um, It actually reminded me a lot of the experience that I had um, with writing letters to my husband because Mm -hmm. my husband was in the um, Air Force and he was stationed in Mm -hmm. Germany and our whole courtship was basically we were apart. So we met each other and got to know each other in person, but then the majority of the time we were apart until we got married. And we wrote letters mm-hmm. because it was in it was in I met him in 1988. Right yeah. there was there was oh, no email. Yeah. There right. was no the cell phones no were like FaceTime. this big. Right, like <laughs> yeah. right, there was no FaceTime. There was none of that. And so we wrote letters. But it again, it was characterized so much of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the letter writing, because we did talk to each other over the phone, but it was very expensive. Mm-hmm. So we were careful about mm-hmm. when we were calling. But so much of the responses, it was always characterized by waiting because mm-hmm. you couldn't get an immediate response to whatever your mm-hmm. question was. Mm-hmm. Or if you sent, if I sent him something or he sent me something, you had to wait. Sure. And sometimes by the time you got your answers, mm-hmm. The circumstances had changed, right? Because <laughs> you're waiting yep. at least a week. Yep. In this case, it was much longer mm-hmm. with, and we can talk about it, but many more hindrances and challenges. But the other thing is that when you want that kind of immediate response, mm-hmm. which sometimes is a good thing that you have to wait because, mm-hmm. you know, having not being able to get that kind of immediate yeah. feedback Sometimes I think is a positive thing. So that was one of the things that really struck me uh, was the waiting part. And then sometimes my husband's letters or my letters would Mm -hmm. come in a clump. So even though we had sent them like every day or every other day because of the way the mail Mm -hmm. was going, sometimes we'd get three or four letters at a time, Yeah, you know, which is kind of, and then you'd put them in order Mm -hmm. and sit there and read them in order. So that was one of the ways that I really connected with it. Um, That's so cool. That's really cool. Did you ever have a pen pal? So it's actually interesting. I, um, when I started, when I started reading this and I was coming at it from kind of, a sort of different perspective because like I'm I know we pick it for the one book so I'm going okay so why are we picking you know like (laughs) sort of coming at it from a more thematic um point of view and one of the things I sort of sat and did right away was some math in my head because I Mm -hmm. I'm I'm the same age Caitlin is like Mm -hmm. I basically grew up at the same time and yes the answer is but my pen pal and I I remember much like her classmates (laughs) And it was, it was something similar. I think it was, I don't know if it was through school or through, I was in 4-H, so I don't mm-hmm. know, it might have been through like the 4-H club or something like that. We did a similar thing where you got matched up with pen pals and I couldn't even tell you where mine was from mm-hmm. any longer. Um, but, and, and I remember like writing back and forth a few times and doing that sort of thing. But that, like... It's, it was very resonant for me in terms of, you know, sort of that time period that this was very clearly mm-hmm. a thing that was, like, popular to mm-hmm. do with ch- children of a certain age to yeah. set that up. Um, and I think that's really interesting because nowadays you wouldn't do that, right? You'd set up Skype sessions mm-hmm. or right. something like that. And sure. um, 
and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. I think technology can open up a lot of possibilities, but it also closes some, right? Mm -hmm. So some of that sort of the waiting, the Mm -hmm. anticipation, thinking about how you respond and that sort of thing, you lose that. So um, I thought that was interesting. Did you, I don't mean to turn into being the the interviewer, but um, I also wondered, did you, were you more like Caitlin's classmates in that you only corresponded a few times and then stopped? Yeah, and I... I I remember, and I could be misremembering, but since I, I don't even know who my pen pal was, no one can call me out on it if I'm wrong. <laughs> I remember being not the one who stopped writing, but like uh, who wrote a few times and then be- didn't ever get responses back. So it was like, all right, that's fine. And I don't remember being terribly upset by that, but I do remember there being like a uh, a few times of writing and not getting anything back. And okay, so. never mind. I know I got ghosted by mail, but whatever. That's okay. Um, it, it was, it was, it was strange because I, I don't know. I, at the time, like thinking back, your concept of the world or these countries where someone else is, are is so sort of filtered through whatever little bit you've gotten in school or for books or things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I remember it, I thought it was really, I remember thinking it was interesting, but also kind of being a little frustrated with it because I felt like, especially in the early letters, you're, you're just basically, I go to school and do this. And, and it's much of what they do, you yeah. know, sort of the basics. And, um, and I think I was frustrated. Like I wanted more I want you know but I, I didn't know how to how to achieve that so it was it was an interesting experience and part of that I'm sure is the, your, your age yep oh um, yeah and for as much as distance might enable you to write mm-hmm. a lot and to dig mm-hmm. it also sets up somewhat of a barrier and a challenge because you have never seen the person before mm-hmm. And so you also don't know exactly what you can ask, like what is appropriate, Mm -hmm. what you can say. Mm -hmm. And if there are, like is in the case between Martin and and Caitlin, if there are not only cultural differences Mm -hmm. and there are ethnic and racial differences, Mm -hmm. but then there are all of these really, really vast class differences that um, I'm Mm -hmm. sure for both of them, You know, it takes her a long time to sort of really put the pieces together mm-hmm. and realize yeah. that he's working under great challenges yeah. and great duress. And him realizing, thinking, first of mm-hmm. all, that she's wealthy, you know, mm-hmm. when in fact she's, you know, she's not mm-hmm. wealthy. She's, you know, they, but she comes from a good middle class family. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's not like she's like rolling in, in, mm-hmm. in money. Um, but there is a kind of disconnect, mm-hmm. so you don't, like, yeah. sort of similar to your case, you mm-hmm. don't exactly always know what to say. Yeah, exactly. What um, to ask. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Did you guys exchange pictures? I don't think we did. I. It's possible, but I don't recall exchanging pictures. And were you around the same age, like seventh grade? Yeah, I was around the same age, sort of middle school age, because it was definitely before I went to high school. Mm-hmm. Um, Where did you grow up? I grew up in Michigan. I grew up outside okay. of, just outside of Detroit. My parents both grew up in Detroit, and mm-hmm. then we grew up um, right outside of Detroit, Michigan. And um, it's, yeah, it's interesting, too. Like, I was, I've been trying, what, one of the things 
because I feel like one of the things when I started reading it that I might have been a little uncharitable in judging Caitlin and some of her reactions to things. And I was kind of trying to, okay, but go back, think about what your worldview was in high school and think about, um, I think, I think I probably had a more, uh, diversified high school experience Mm -hmm. than she did. Um, just because being right on the edge of Detroit, there was like a really, really wide mix of students in my high school, both, um, racially and socioeconomically. Mm -hmm. Cause we kind of like all the way from, you know, students who had a lot less than me to students who had a lot more than me. Where were you? Um, were you in, like, Bloomfield Hills or anything? Ferndale? Um, okay, I don't know that. I know Southfield. Okay, yeah, so it's I not far. It, I'm in Ferndale, which is, if you're familiar at all with the way, you know, like, Woodward comes out from Detroit, it's mm-hmm. the main artery coming out from Detroit, like the main line, mm-hmm. and then you have the Mile Road, so mm-hmm. 8 Mile is the border, and my parents' house, where they still live, is right on 9 Mile. Okay. And my high school was literally right between eight and nine miles. So um, it's right on the border of the city. And Ferndale's very, you know, Ferndale's, it's such a weird, sorry, this is devolving into a thing about Detroit. You can cut this if you want to. (laughs) It's such a strange thing because growing up right outside of it and going to, spending my whole like childhood going to art museums and stuff down there, you kind of have this weird thing with Detroit where it's like, yeah, it's got a lot of rural big problems, but at the same time, if people from outside of there talk trash about it, I'm like, no. Right. right. We don't talk about Detroit like that. <laughs> right. So it's like it's like you can say things about your own sister, but if somebody else right, says something right, about her, right, then right. you just like step off. Right, so. right. Um, it's it's, but I think it afforded me maybe some more experiences than if like Bloomfield Hills or something mm-hmm. like that, which is, um, you know, to put it very bluntly, a much whiter, mm-hmm. wealthier, uh, wealthier suburb. Mm-hmm. suburb yeah. Um, It's interesting to me, though, because when you were talking about feeling a little uncharitable towards Caitlin, you know, I I think initially when I started reading it, I was I felt very disconnected. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is my age, too. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm a I'm 55. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was reading it and I was thinking, oh, my God, like what kind of foolishness is going on? (laughs) And then I stopped and I was like seventh grade foolishness and I need to cut her some slack Mm -hmm. and then I actually felt very charitable towards Mm -hmm. her not only as a seventh grader Mm -hmm. but as an adult Mm -hmm. who was writing working on this project and how vulnerable she made Mm -hmm. herself to the world and I was very appreciative and very sympathetic Mm -hmm. to who she is now and and thinking about who she was as she was developing. Oh yeah. Well, and I thought, mm, you gave us a you like you really lot. gave us a lot. And I was very appreciative of that. Well one of the things along those similar lines, like I was thinking about that a little bit as well in terms of as an adult, you know, if you've ever gone back and looked at I, I kept a journal when uh-huh. I was younger. <laughs> I <laughs> wasn't a is, good journal writer. I wasn't a good I was a terrible <laughs> journal writer. Um but, uh, you know, if you go back and look at things that you wrote, I mean, if I go back and look at things that I You're wrote probably yesterday, mortified. But, but it's, it's mortifying. <laughs> one of my, one of my friends back home, um, for a while, year uh, did a, um, she would throw a party that was called, uh, bad high school poetry and people would bring <gasps> their old journals and it. read I love it. their bad poetry uh, and it was mortifying, but everyone was doing it. So it was kind of fun. Right. And, and like you said, as an adult, like putting those letters out there and talking about what she was thinking about, like that 
that takes a lot of courage mm-hmm. because you are opening yourself up to a lot of criticism. Absolutely. I completely um, agree. And, yeah. So I appreciated that I, as well. And, and, you know, the other thing that was happening for me, too, is that as I was, as I was reading, I also was very... I was very impressed with how Caitlin very early on, you know, so so for whatever reason that she decided that she was going to pick Zimbabwe, right? Mm-hmm. The, the way it sounded, mm-hmm. the, you know, that it was this kind of mysterious place mm-hmm. she didn't know anything about. But very quickly, she and Martin developed this kind of friendship through their, you know, these kind of, revelatory epistles mm-hmm. and she becomes very defensive of him yeah. of that relationship so. and I think that the way she r- responds even very early is very mature mm-hmm. as opposed to a lot of her classmates who kind of mm-hmm. I don't know they were making all these judgments and um, and in some ways again at first I found myself being very critical of the classmates too mm-hmm. and being like, you know, yeah. shame on you, you know. But then I thought they have no real context. She's yeah. not reading the letters to them. Mm-hmm. So they don't really know Martin the way that she knows mm-hmm. Martin. And they're wrapped up again mm-hmm. in their seventh, eighth, ninth grade stuff that's going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. It's not the center of their mm-hmm. lives like it becomes for her, mm-hmm. you know, that relationship. Um, why don't we maybe look at, I think the, the start of the, the book, the first passage from Caitlin's perspective, I think gets at what you were talking about, um, with Zimbabwe and maybe, yeah, maybe gets at her friends too Mm -hmm. and, and her classmates. So Mm -hmm. I'd never heard of Zimbabwe, but something about the way the name looked up on the blackboard intrigued me. It was exotic and difficult to pronounce. It was also the last country in a long list that Mrs. Miller had written in chalk. She asked each student in my seventh grade English class to pick one place for a pen pal program our school was starting that year. I was sitting toward the back row. Usually, I spent that period passing notes with Warren, my best friend, or staring out the window daydreaming about boys. It was late September, and the leaves on the trees were beginning to turn from vibrant green to rusty red and mustard yellow. I was an average student. If I applied myself, I did well. Honestly, I was not all that interested in school, but there was something almost magnetic about this crazy-sounding place. Zimbabwe. I raised my hand. Caitlin, Mrs. Miller said, surprised. She usually had to call on me to participate. How do you pronounce the last country, I asked. The one that starts with a Z? Zimbabwe, she said, sounding it out like it was three words. It's in Africa. Oh, cool, I said. I had a hunch it was there, but couldn't name any other countries on the continent. I had a good handle on Europe, as my family had gone to Germany the summer before to visit my dad's relatives. On the same trip, we went to Switzerland, Austria, Liechtenstein, and France. Other than several trips to Canada, that was my first trip abroad, and it was a huge deal. I'd never imagined traveling to Africa or even wondered what life must be like there. I had no idea, and that was all the more exciting, like the beginning of an adventure. That's the one I want, I said. I didn't know it then. How could I have? But that moment would change my life. I think you're right about maybe being uncharitable towards her 
because now if I think about this really, Mm. really deeply, that sort of sentence about spending the period passing notes and staring out the window daydreaming about boys, that's what my seventh grade journal looks like a hundred percent. And if I also had to be uncharitable about myself, I probably wouldn't have picked Zimbabwe either. Mm. I would have been a classmate who picked Germany since my family is German, right? Mm. Or, or something that sounded familiar. Um, but I think, I don't know. I think that passage sort of seems similar to how the rest of the the book goes. Mm-hmm. Like like the international trip is to me. I read as a lot of privilege, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of privilege, and I think mm-hmm. that privilege comes out so many times throughout the rest of the book um, that I don't think I was expecting necessarily. Um, and I don't know, and it was hard to... One of the things I struggled with, and I'm still struggling to sort of put my finger on it and how to articulate it is, I think I can be charitable towards Caitlin in terms of her, you know, her experiences as a young preteen and, like you said, you know, thinking about boys or looking out the window. That, I, yeah, you know, yeah. I, have comp- I have a great deal of compassion for the trials and tribulations of that age and how everything, you know, seems of utmost importance. Where I have some more trouble extending charity is, I guess, um, what we're choosing to put in this book mm-hmm. and certain sections of it. Um, I think what I'm struggling with is who is this book for, mm. especially since we're asking college-age students to read this, because I could see asking junior-high-age students to read this. I think it's on that that level. But in terms of, like, who it's for, because there's... If if it's for, sort of, students of a similar age, I can maybe see some of, like, there's there's whole, you know, pages where she talks about, I was dating this boy, and Mm -hmm. then I was dating this boy, and then I was dating this boy, and I don't have a problem with that. And I think that um, having worked with younger students... uh, at previous jobs in my life, I could see um, them connecting with those sorts of things. But I wonder a little bit about how that resonates with older students. Um, Because I know for me, on the one hand, I understand it's important for us to understand what's going on in Caitlin's life to sort of have a fuller picture of her relationship with Martin. But on the other hand, I'm going, this is not a short book. And how many pages do I have to read about the boys she had crushes on? I don't. Is that does that sound unfair? No, I don't, I don't know if it's unfair. I mean, I you know, I think that you're the way that you're unpacking it and processing it is the way that you know the way that it's striking you. I wonder if, in part, it may resonate with our students because so many of them have backgrounds that are similar to Kate. Right. And I and that yeah. they are close enough mm-hmm. to that age that they mm-hmm. will very quickly um, connect with Caitlin. Mm-hmm. And even with you know, whatever information we get about some of the boys she dated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That they will they will say perhaps will mm-hmm. see themselves mm-hmm. and also see how much they 
they couldn't see mm -hmm. or wouldn't have seen when mm -hmm. they were in seventh or eighth sure. grade mm -hmm. or ninth grade or tenth grade even. Um, and the way that, that, that maybe what will happen for some of our students is that they will develop and change as mm -hmm. they're reading, mm -hmm. similar to what happens mm -hmm. to Caitlin. Yeah. Um, and that was the way that I was interpreting it as I was reading it, because I was, I was getting a little impatient with mm -hmm. the, all the descriptions of, you know, what's happening and the who doesn't like who and who's not speaking to who now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but, but and, I, and I, again, I said to myself, yeah, that's, mm -hmm. I mean, it's authentic in that yeah, sense. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's authentic mm -hmm. seventh, eighth grade drama, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but then I thought, yeah, but, you know, if in fact, if part of what we want to happen is for our students also mm -hmm. to make some connections that maybe for some, I think there's a nice group of our students that maybe would have been on the Caitlin side, sure. right? Because we have a lot of students who come here, they've already studied abroad, not just in privileged locations, right? Mm -hmm. Not in just in developed countries, mm -hmm. but in developing countries mm -hmm. have gone and have and have maybe even had some of these kinds of experiences with pen pals or mm -hmm. yeah. email pals now maybe, yeah. or maybe even mm -hmm. some Skype experiences or whatever. Um, and maybe some of our students are even a little further along. Mm -hmm. Um, right. But I do think that there are some of our students that would really mm -hmm. that would really fall lockstep mm -hmm. in with Caitlin's experiences mm -hmm. and and be very moved and very touched as they're reading and watching that developing relationship. I've only talked to a few college students who have read or even mm -hmm. started this book, and and you know not. I'm not afraid of spoiling what happens here, but mm -hmm. her family ends up paying for Martin to mm -hmm. go to school, mm -hmm. right? Or, or sends a lot of money, mm -hmm. right, um, to his family. And some of the students I've spoken to have essentially sort of like, I would say maybe written off what Caitlin has done because they say, well, my family couldn't have afforded to do that. Mm -hmm. Like my family can't afford to send me to college, let alone a whole mm -hmm. other student. Mm -hmm. And I, it's almost like, I want to say that the message of this book is not to have your family send <laughs> an African young boy that's right. to college. Right. And, and anybody any money. That's I don't not think that's what it's point. about. No. And, yeah. I, and I don't think, because I've been trying to think, like, what, what, proper message can college student get because I think the message that gets sent to a middle schooler because this book is usually given to middle school and high school students mm -hmm. to read is generally like be a good person mm -hmm. and not be afraid to step outside of your comfort zone mm -hmm. but maybe for a lot of college students like like you were saying mm -hmm. some people are way ahead of that mm -hmm. and so they might be saying like yeah I already do those things what else but then I think there are people who are like oh I don't I can't do that mm -hmm. But I think that that's not the message it's trying to tell us. I don't think it's about, I mean, the money is huge for Martin's family, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's about the money, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But the money is such a huge part of the The money is important, mm -hmm. right? Because the money allows him to go to school. The money gives, you know, the money helps his family. But I think, at least for me, what's really important is their relationship and their mm -hmm. friendship. Mm -hmm. And it's I, I appreciate the pictures that are included mm -hmm. as well to see and and to to sort of watch 
them get to the point where they do get to see each other yeah. and that they are friends. Mm-hmm. And that's the, for me, what's so critical, even if we're thinking about the ways that these kinds of circumstances, and this is the kind of global or international connection that happens, but even relationships that are built across town mm-hmm. or even what you were talking about, mm-hmm. right? Being in Detroit, being right on the outskirts of Detroit yeah. and Detroit and how you over the years have thought about your hometown mm-hmm. and about um, about Detroit and all that, you know, that it stands for and that it symbolizes. I think what gets lost so often in this kind of 10,000 or 50,000 foot view yeah. What gets lost are the friendships, mm-hmm. right? And that individual relationships mean so much. I mean, personally, I do think that policy is 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 critical. I, I think policy and the law is critical. But I think the way that policy mm-hmm. gets worked out is through individual encounters, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that's what I... I think you're right. The money, we can't dismiss the money mm-hmm. because to Martin, the money changes, literally changes mm-hmm. his life. Right. I mean, even the way that Caitlin sends T-shirts or mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. that him being able to wear certain items of clothing puts him in a different category amongst his peers oh, yeah. and, you know, gets the respect in, in, in the community mm-hmm. that's different. But I think what more more than the money is the friendship. They love each other, and mm-hmm. you and I. I believe it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We believe it as readers, mm-hmm. and and that they're they're both very clear about defending that relationship, and that when people want to sort of sully it or make mm-hmm. it be something else, yeah. they're really clear that no, you know, like we love each other mm-hmm. for who we are. Mm-hmm. And that that becomes the basis for who knows what mm-hmm. more can happen mm-hmm. as a result of that friendship. Right. A lot of the reviews, I was talking to Sarah yesterday, because yeah. I like poured through the Goodreads reviews mm-hmm. one day, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are quite unkind. I would say a majority of them are pretty positive. Generally, like, this book changed mm-hmm. my life and changed mm-hmm. the way that I see the world. That's awesome. Like, mm-hmm. I'm all for that. But then a lot of them acknowledge that this book is not a literary masterpiece. No. Which I'd argue oh God, it's no. not. No, it's not. No. And I think maybe part of my hesitation with loving this book is because it was part of this university sort mm-hmm. of selection and I'm used to reading literary masterpieces mm-hmm. because of being in a graduate English program. Yeah. Right? We are meant to critique it on whether or not it is a literary masterpiece. It's hard anymore to read a book for its story. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is part of the if the thing that's difficult for me that I have to sort of reteach myself is that it's got a really heartwarming and like uplifting story, right? Mm-hmm. And it's honest. Mm-hmm. I think in this day and age, I think we need some heartwarming, uplifting stories. I, I mean, I... So I have been accused of being, um, you know, at times I can be a real optimist and I can see <laughs> things through rose-colored glasses. But I think, you know, in part as a, as a scholar of 19th and 20th century African-American literature, I see my fair share of very 
dark literature, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am, you know, I am thrown often into sure. the pits of despair when it comes to slave narratives and all of the kind of attendant literature that is connected with the mid-19th, early and mid-19th century. And then even the literature of the 20th century that attempts to unpack and process the trauma that is associated with American slavery, that literature is often quite dark, quite dense, and leaves us often feeling like hope is very hard to to grasp and mm-hmm. to attain. And I think in reading this book, I, you know, I thought a lot about, you know, we've talked a lot about character, right? Mm-hmm. About the character development. Right. And I thought a lot about that process of, you know, who Caitlin is as a as a young middle school and high schooler, but also who Caitlin is as a character in mm-hmm. this text, right? As Liz Welch is helping them to craft mm-hmm who they are as characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're really careful. We've, we've been struggling about what to call it, right? Is it, is it, is it autobiographical? Is it, is it biographical? Is it, um, does it have an element of fiction mm-hmm. in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it does, I, I didn't read this with a pen and pencil in my hand, right? I did a lot of the reading of this on a plane, mm-hmm. um, I got a lot of this read when I was going to California. So I had long stretches of time to read. And I was happy to read about a relationship mm-hmm. that I think has some meat and some bones. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and actually helped to... Because one of the things we don't want to do, and, and we haven't talked about it a lot, but Martin is incredibly smart. hmm and is incredibly ambitious mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and has and is motivated because of his family and and has and has excellent role models in his family, right? Mm-hmm. His uncle, his aunt, um, all of these other mm-hmm. like school, the schoolmasters and all of these folks sure. who are pushing him. So this is not all about Caitlin. No. It's it's about it's about Caitlin's family helping to facilitate some opportunities. But Martin mm-hmm. has to walk through the door. Yeah, sure. He has to walk through the open door mm-hmm. of those opportunities. Right. Martin yeah. is an incredible person. I was like, I was frequently taken aback by, by his story almost every chapter. And I think it was so rich with, mm-hmm. with such fascinating detail mm-hmm. that we I think we all benefited from Absolutely. seeing his life like that. I think it's interesting too um, so far we've mostly been talking about Caitlin mm-hmm. um, but I was way more interested in Martin's chapters mm-hmm. than Absolutely. I was in Caitlin's chapters when I was reading it. Right. Because um, maybe because Caitlin's perspective, similarly to what we've been saying this whole time, is like, oh yeah, I remember seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Like none of that's mm-hmm. none of that is new or or surprising or yeah. really Interesting, personally, it didn't mm-hmm. shake me to my core, but Martin's chapters mm-hmm. shook me to my core almost mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. Right. I mean, part of what happens too with Caitlin, and again, and this is why I think you know, this is why I guess I am somewhat sympathetic towards Caitlin, and and I, 
I find myself as a black woman who's teaching in a predominantly white institution, and my mm-hmm. just about my entire career has been here at Villanova. Um, I am constantly thinking about that. What my students have been exposed to, mm-hmm. what their backgrounds are, what you know, and I and and I I don't want to make complete generalizations, but no. I have a lot of students that have never had it. They've never had a black professor. Mm-hmm. They've never had a black teacher, right? And they and they certainly have not read the majority of the types of material that I'm teaching them. Mm-hmm. But to give them confidence that they don't have to be vilified for their experiences. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it's the same way that I approach the generation gap mm-hmm. as well. So that kind of the racial and ethnic differences mm-hmm. in the classroom, I approach it the same way with the generation gap. You, We cannot vilify millennials and whatever the next was, the Gen X, Gen Y, whatever mm-hmm. the groups are, for their experiences, right? Mm-hmm. You can't be angry with students that were almost literally born with cell phones in their hands. Mm-hmm. It's what they know. Caitlin is wrestling with what she knows. Mm-hmm. So when I was feeling at times as I'm reading, I'm feeling like, Caitlin, why aren't you picking up that something <laughs> is going on with this kid, that mm-hmm. it is taking him so long to respond to you? I'm thinking Caitlin's world, she's wrapped up in her world. I was less surprised Caitlin didn't pick up on it than I was that her parents never said anything to her about stuff at certain right. points. And later, I think, you know, there is more. But, like, there were there were points where I was like, I feel like mom and dad should say something here because mom and dad know better. Right. I think what <laughs> to happens, a degree. I think what happens partly is, at least the way I interpret it, that Caitlin keeps a lot of stuff from her yeah, parents. Yeah, she did. Um, she's got some disposable income mm-hmm. right she works <laughs> yeah she babysits mm-hmm. whatever she mm-hmm. makes her a little money so she does things like mm-hmm. send money in the mail she's naive mm-hmm. when her parents finally do step in mm-hmm. they are both um cautious as well they should be mm-hmm. right they're cautious and they are um they are wiser than she is, right? Because they're like, you have to be careful of scams. How do you know any of this is the truth? Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're worried about catfishing before catfishing was a thing, yeah. right? right. Um, and then, but then to their credit, once they, once Caitlin sort of stands up and says, no, I know that he's not, you yeah. know, tricking me. They they use their resources and they use them for good, yes. right? Their connections, Mm-hmm. their money they jump in there and they support her so mm-hmm. like you I kind of was wondering like are you all paying attention but then but then when when at least when Caitlin starts talking to her mom and they yeah. go shopping and mm-hmm. stuff like they they just they kind up, of step yeah. in yeah. yeah yeah so I mean you know I I, I guess what I don't want us to do maybe similar mm-hmm. to what's happening in those Goodread reviews I don't want us to, like, clobber Caitlin oh, no. for being herself, right? No. She's just a, you know, little young woman who's living in, what, mm-hmm. Bucks County, and yeah. she's... Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm thinking about where where she is, right? Yeah. Oh, no. I don't think... I don't think Caitlin deserves that kind of response at all, because... Like you said, you kind of, you have to, I think you have to meet her where she is. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think it's a good way to put it. Because, and I mean, even even reading it, like, uh, Caitlin, and, and yeah, like, Caitlin's super privileged in a lot of ways, but that's not her fault. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think many people would have the life Caitlin had if her parents had, if their parents had the means to give them, you know, mm-hmm. give them that kind of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to at all fault her for that or vilify her in any way for that, because I don't think that's fair. Yeah. Um, I do think, and I do hope that as the book is discussed in classes, mm-hmm. that that is grappled with a little bit. Um, because, I agree that the book doesn't need to be about sort of these bigger systemic issues, but there's a lot of bigger systemic issues underlying the lives of these two people that even they aren't aware of within the book. And, you know, I think maybe, and I think that's maybe part of the, the book, you know, for a middle school or something like that, can I think be more of the book at face value? I hope that in our classes here on this campus we're looking a little deeper mm-hmm. and trying to talk about some of those underlying things. And again, not in an attempt to glorify or vilify either mm-hmm. side, but in an attempt to sort of really interrogate those things. And partly just because, again, you know, and I've only been here for six years, mm-hmm. so you've got way more experience mm-hmm. than I do here. Um, you know, I think that it's true for the most part of Villanova students that they have really good hearts and they yeah. genuinely want to understand things and care about things. But at the same time, there are students that I've met with in classes or in my office who just don't realize um, the hardships that other people are facing. Or I I definitely, I taught taught an honors class and it was a few years ago now, so any students who would have been in it would be gone. Um, (laughs) But I had an, where we were talking about... um, power disparity and gender Mm -hmm. and things like that. And I had a student who very emphatically was, you know, but, but women are equal now. I have an aunt, (laughs) I have an aunt who's a CEO. And, and the thing is, and, and I, I really, I appreciated his willingness to share that. And I appreciated his very openness as other people in the class Mm -hmm. then started to debate him on (laughs) the fact that just because you have this one, you know, and, -hmm. and again, and I don't fault our students for that because similarly, you know, they know what they know. Um, but I do hope that it's being used in some ways to not just talk about the very drastic differences between Caitlin and Martin um, that are being exemplified in the book, but also, um, you know, the underlying systemic things going on in each country that mm-hmm. contribute to their lives and where they're coming from, if that, if that makes sense. I'm it makes sort of, perfect you know. sense. You know, one of the things um, that this, may, what you're saying makes me think of is, you know, a concept that um, folks that do work in, in diversity mm-hmm. and equity and inclusion work, that um, this concept of mirrors and windows, mm-hmm. right? And that hopefully what will happen in the mm-hmm. classroom setting and that whoever is facilitating the conversations mm-hmm. will bring it up, that on the one hand, for many of these students, um, probably Caitlin's experiences are going to serve as mirrors, mm-hmm. right? As a mirror. And so it will mirror back mm-hmm. to them much of what they for and, and I'm making I'm making some assumptions here yeah, right? not everyone, about but our students that maybe are you know 
come from more means mm-hmm. and privilege that they will look at Caitlin's experience and they will see much of their own experiences mm-hmm. replicated. But that what will happen, exactly mm-hmm. what you said about um, how being so charged by Martin's chapters, mm-hmm. that they will look at, at Martin's experiences and they will look at exactly what mm-hmm. you talked about, those kinds of underlying systemic issues mm-hmm. under both sides, right? Yeah. In terms of, because even even on Martin's side, right, what we're finding out, we're finding out all kinds of political circumstances, political mm-hmm. and economic circumstances that are affected by world events, right? Yeah. So it's not, it's not like folks in Zimbabwe, how interesting that Zimbabwe is in the news now, right? Mm-hmm. All, all about what's what's going on in terms of climate and and their economy. So that what what students will be able to do then is look at Martin's chapters as like windows mm-hmm. into a life mm-hmm. that many of our students. You know, I was thinking as you were talking, study abroad is not study abroad, right? right. It's not, one experience is not the same as another. Oh, so you can go to one country mm-hmm. and have a wonderfully elegant, fabulous, almost, you know, exorbitant time, luxurious mm-hmm. time away, and in another place, you know, experience something very, very different. And it kind of depends on who you are, Mm -hmm. depends on what experience you choose Mm -hmm. often, even when it comes to that kind of work. So I think that that concept of mirrors and windows Mm -hmm. um, really can be Mm -hmm. uh, applied to a book like this. I didn't think of that. Maybe for this college, you know, especially first years who are are strongly encouraged to read this Mm -hmm. book, that this changes maybe the trajectory of their four years at Philadelphia, right? Instead of studying abroad and Mm -hmm. Europe. Yeah. They choose to, like, lean into this discomfort, right, or kind of uncertainty Mm -hmm. and do something they wouldn't have done without this book. And one thing that's happening particularly with our study abroad programs is that we are expanding, even at Villanova, that we are are developing new partnerships Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, you know, I'm thinking about even our students that go on to do, um, let's say, fellowships later, like Fulbright fellowships, Mm -hmm. who they might, you know, under normal circumstances, they might pick one country to do their Fulbright Mm -hmm. and that they might, you know, go for something a little different. Absolutely. And and that, I think if there would be a desired mm-hmm. outcome for a book like this, because I think you're right, Daniela. This, you know, I have learned to not be a snob when it comes to <laughs> literature. And that, for a literature professor, that, that's hard, admittedly, I will say. Um, there have been texts, you know, titles that people have suggested to me. And I, you know, I politely Mm -hmm. take the title and then think to myself, I'm never going to read that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I mean, I'm just being honest, right? And then, but there are times that I'm learning to sort of take that, and I'm using air quotes, that kind of snob hat off. Mm -hmm. And and it's, you know, it's because it's what's what I do, right? It's, Mm -hmm. you know, I Mm -hmm. I make these kinds of critical judgments and and distinctions in the classroom for myself, what what my process of reading is and writing. But for something like this, I did take that kind of 
you know, critical hat off. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to see what the story is here. I Mm -hmm. want to know what the relationship Mm -hmm. is here. And I'm not working with a pen in my hand and I'm not writing a review, right? right? Mm -hmm. I just want to know about Mm -hmm. these two young people. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, I felt like, you know, change and transformation happens on both sides, which I think is... And it's I kind of something we want. I kind of right? had to switch to that because if you look at my copy, I started reading it with a pencil because mm-hmm. I was reading it specifically to do this podcast mm-hmm. because I will fully admit I would not have read it mm-hmm. otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of I got to a point where I was like, I can't I can't read this and take notes on everything that I think is problematic or take <laughs> notes on everything right. that kind of gives me pause because Otherwise, I'll just get lost in that and never get through it. So I just need to read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would sometimes like reflect at the end of when I'm not at the end of every chapter, but the, when I was done with whatever, however amount I read, mm-hmm. I'd go back and sort of reflect a little bit. But I, I started out trying to take notes so that I could come mm-hmm. and say smart things to Daniela here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I realized like that wasn't going to work because if, it, if, if I did that, it was going to be a real chore. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was going to be a different process yeah. of reading. That's exactly yeah. right. Right, and I can't, you know, looking at, yeah, one, the first time I read through it, and the first time I marked something was on page 29, mm. and it said, I, I know it may sound naive, but I thought then, as a 12-year-old girl, what I think now, regardless of the color of our skin, we're all the same. And I underlined it, and I wrote color blindness in the margins. Yeah. And I, I did too. I think I, early I, I also have that, that marked in my. Yeah. And I'm I'm, in, I'm entrenched in academia. Right. One, mm-hmm. and it struck me that it said I thought as a twelve year old girl as to what I think now, and I said, oh, that's tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I just had to realize that I think that's part. It was page twenty nine. Of yeah. the book, right? Yeah. But the what I think now was was hard for me and made me think like, what is this going to pass on to Villanova students? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are they going to read? You know, I hope they don't hang on to one particular sentence, but if they hang on to that sentence, and that colorblind sentence, yeah, mm-hmm. that's so dangerous. Yeah, that's dangerous. It and is. And I hope that in some capacities we can look at certain things. Critically, if it had said like what I thought when I was twelve years old, yeah, yeah, I would have thrown that in with the rest of the things I thought when I was twelve years old too. So there are parts like, but here, but but in part, what what it what that reveals though is that this notion of colorblindness, it, it, you know, folks don't have a monolithic opinion about colorblindness, right? Yeah, and so for you know, I'm very very upfront and very. Um, What's the word I want? I'm 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 very opinionated about this concept of colorblindness. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've been you know you've been in class with me, Danielle. I don't know if we've talked about it, but I'm very clear that you know I I don't buy this notion of colorblindness. Nor do I want you to be blind when you see me. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't. I I want you to use whatever kinds of eyes. I want you to be able to use your actual eyes. I want you to be able to use your cultural eyes. I want you to be able to use your, you know, whatever, whatever other spiritual eyes, whatever kind of eyes I want you to use, and I want to use them on you. I say this in my classes all the time. There is no black woman that I know of who sits in a chair for 10 hours and gets her hair braided in micros and then doesn't want you to see them. 
right? <laughs> Nobody who spends $150 and $200 on mm-hmm. their hair, right? Nobody. So they don't want you to be blind to it. What they don't want you to do is determine that there is some sort of pejorative worth to it, right? Mm-hmm, right. That when you make those kinds of judgment calls. So I, I personally think that that notion of colorblindness is a problem. But everybody doesn't. And so for many folks, their way into these kinds of conversations, the only way they can get to them is through sameness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They can't approach this kind of material through difference. I've talked to professors who have students who are so bothered by the notion that we continue to talk about difference. Mm And the only way that they can begin to approach any of these questions is is through sameness. What do we have in common? What do we have alike? Yeah. Tied to that and tied to the sort of idea of colorblindness, one of the things that I was sort of grappling with when I was reading it was, so, you know, essentially we're dealing with a young white woman and a young black man. Mm -hmm. But we're also kind of like, so, so, I, I'm trying to like it's it's weird because I think I think in some ways maybe speaking to what you were saying about finding that sameness mm-hmm. it might be easier for some students to engage with this story of a young white woman in America and a young black man in a very foreign country mm-hmm. than perhaps if it were a young black man in this country mm-hmm. but and and so maybe there's some value to that because of what you were just saying. Mm-hmm. But then the thing I was grappling with was sort of, of, of we are, and that's not what this book is about. This book is not about blackness in America or mm-hmm. race in America in that sense. And so I don't want to try and say it should be about something it's not mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. But because it isn't really dealt with, I guess then it's like what kind what kind of things is that telling us about race? What kinds of things is that telling us about mm-hmm. friendship and relationship? I I haven't decided yet. I haven't yeah. figured that out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good point because the relationship is not about two mm-hmm. young people in Philadelphia, right? And that's the thing. You could, I mean, you could look at. I mean, she could be writing about a young person in the city of Philadelphia Mm -hmm. who's black or white Mm -hmm. or, you know, Hispanic or Latinx or, you know, in any way how, how they identify, but who is drastically in a very different Mm -hmm. situation in Mm -hmm. life than her. And I, I'm not from Philadelphia, but having moved here and I live in the city um, and sort of seeing not only the difference between the main line and the city, but also the way that Villanova students sometimes, again, not all Villanova students, but sometimes view the city or are told to view the city, mm-hmm. especially if they're new here and they're not from the area. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. It's it, Again, I don't want to make the book about something it's not. I don't want to ask the book to do something that it's not trying to do because that's not fair. Right. But I think what you're raising is important for this particular community, mm-hmm. right? This book is supposed to be read by Villanova students, and so what, what can we as Villanova community members take mm-hmm. from it, right? And yeah. I think that's valid. I think some students on this campus treat Center City Philadelphia like 
like as far away as Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Zimbabwe. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Even though we have two trains that go directly there like from straight the on our campus, right? Yeah. Right. And so I don't know. I don't know how to grapple with that either because the city is mm-hmm. diverse, and I love Philadelphia. I think it's wonderful, mm-hmm. but. There are students who have lived here for four years and have never been in the city of Philadelphia, not only for sightseeing or cultural things, but also to, like, help anyone who lives in that city Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. do any type of service project or, like, Mm -hmm. that's outrageous to me. And that's, like, you know, thinking about, you know, what you were saying about maybe this will push them to do a study abroad or a Fulbright somewhere else. I even want to say maybe it'll just push them to engage more with the city on their doorstep, or I would hope. Right. And, it, and the city has a wide spread mm-hmm. of privilege and poverty and mm-hmm. everything in between. So I'm not saying like, oh, the city of Philadelphia is blighted That's right. in any way. That's right. That's ridiculous. But, you know, I hope, I hope that because this is such an international story, it doesn't put blinders on to what's right in front of us. Because I think that's the other thing that I kind of worry a little bit that it, it doesn't force conversations about the things going on in our own country because of that. But it could. That's what it I was going to say. And I it hope could. it does. And depending on who facilitates mm-hmm. conversations, I think it could. Mm-hmm. Because, which which in some ways goes back to what I was talking about, about re- relationships, mm-hmm. that part of what I think hopefully this will do is it will, that the conversations will move from the international mm-hmm. to the local. Exactly. Right? right? That's what I'm hoping will happen. Same. That they will see, that our students and whoever else reads this mm-hmm. will see that, in fact, these two folks who were on different continents through letters and through time mm-hmm. got to know each other, but eventually came into each other's lives physically. Like mm-hmm. they physically were able to see each other and have maintained this friendship. And that that's the kind of thing. So, you know, of course, I, you know, I think about our IGR program. Yeah. I think about, I think about um, our global interdisciplinary studies department mm-hmm. here. I think about our um, Africana studies and, and, you know, and our Latin American mm-hmm. studies. You know, all of these different kinds of programs where we literally could have some of these conversations and do some mm-hmm. of this work right here, shoulder to shoulder. Mm-hmm. So I think you're absolutely right, right? I, I, I share your concern, yeah. but I guess what I'm, I'm, I'm hoping what happens is that we'll go from, we'll go from the, the out there and the international and we'll mm-hmm. come to the right. what's here in my face, in my doorstep. And I think, and on I think, my campus yes, even. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. And I think, I mean, I have, I have great faith in our faculty. I think that those are questions that the faculty are thinking about and yeah. um, asking students to grapple with. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping that is what's the kind of thing that's happening in classrooms. I think, and maybe I won't include this in here, but I think the One Book Committee has been seriously struggling to come up with events that take place over the course of this Mm-hmm. academic year. The whole year. Similar, yeah. like different from um, last year with mm-hmm. Just Mercy and Brian Stevenson in mm-hmm. which we had mm-hmm. events happening all year long, which mm-hmm. is the whole point of the one. I, like, I looked at the One Book website today and it's supposed to 
present to the university a book worthy of close reading, discussion, and the stimulation of dialogue among members of the campus community for the entire academic year. Yeah. And other than having Martin on campus, which was great, we haven't been able to sort of do anything. And I think part of that struggle is the, the focus on this book being an one of international relations Mm -hmm. and maybe if we start thinking about the local Mm -hmm. we can come up with something that is really effective for the people who are reading this book and feel like they want to do something but don't think that they can afford to send a young African boy to college yeah and and well and to do kind of what both of you have been saying right is to literally do that work even in it maybe in an activity or mm-hmm. in an event on campus mm-hmm. to do that work of somebody walking us through what it looks like mm-hmm. to move from the international to the local yeah. mm-hmm. right um that may be a really that may be the basis of an of an mm-hmm. interesting um event yeah. on campus so very interesting. Do you have any other thoughts? Anything else you feel like we haven't touched on or? No, I suspect we've got a lot. Yeah, I uh, think we're, we're going to progress yeah. through the book in further episodes. So I think Good. we'll get to the ending yeah. eventually. Mm-hmm. And so I hope. You know, to follow up a little on the um, international versus local, and you can include this or not, it's up to you. But um, it kind of makes me think of, um, and not to get too political, but in the last few years, there have been so many very, very big things happening that feel very beyond anything that I have power to do anything about, aside from showing up at the polls mm-hmm. um, in November. Uh, or, you know, and I, that was, I really, really struggled with that because, and struggled with dealing with anxiety and depression connected to it because I feel so helpless over a lot mm-hmm. of things. And one of the ways and I haven't found the answer and I'm not claiming to, but one of the ways I have found to deal with that has really been to think about, okay, I can't. There's literally nothing I as an individual can do about this big thing. I mean, I can go to marches and things like that and I do, Mm -hmm. but what can I do on a daily basis um, as an individual, as a person who works on a university campus, as an educator, as a librarian, what are, what are things both personally and professionally that I can do, even if they feel small, that make me feel like I'm doing something? Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be a way in for some people in terms of sort of translating the big to the smaller, mm-hmm. because it's definitely helped me. And I don't know... And I, and I think it's making a difference, too, just in terms of the projects that I agree to take on professionally. I'm trying to have an eye to some of these more mm-hmm. important issues, um, volunteer work that I do personally, things like that. So, um, you know, almost because it's can sometimes, I think, be hard to sort of get your head around the international part of it, actually, I think, makes an argument for... Focusing, the focusing on the on local, the local. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because you can make a difference there and sometimes making a difference locally makes a difference mm-hmm. on a that's bigger right. level that's right and um, I appreciate the I appreciate what you're saying about the feeling of anxiety and helplessness um, or anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and I'm adding the word helplessness no that, that is an accurate word to use <laughs> yeah that you that you feel like you, you look at stuff on television and it just makes you crazy Mm -hmm. and you 
you just think, I just can't take, I mean, like, you know, that's how I feel. You know, I look at stuff and I'm just like, ah, and then, you know, and I think, and for me often where I've attempted to work out some of those feelings has been in the classroom. Yeah. So I, I, I don't stop teaching, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always thinking about what texts I'm going to teach and mm-hmm. rearranging my syllabi and that kind of thing, because it is a way for me mm-hmm. to, to grapple. It, it offers me a space and it gives me a chance to allow my students to work through some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So then we together can work through some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, maybe, maybe that's a good segue between one of those parts or one of the, one of the mm-hmm. sessions is to be able to sort of heavy handedly do that work in the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To to help people who are listening yeah. figure out, okay, how can we go from the global or the international specifically mm-hmm. to the local yeah. or even like the local m- meaning the national or the local mm-hmm. or the real local on this mm-hmm. campus. Yeah. Right. That's true too. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Very cool. Thank you so much for having yeah, us. Yeah, thank was you. Really this is great. Thanks for being on my podcast. This guys. is great. I this love it. Good. I was kind of really nervous about it. So. Yeah, well, I was nervous too because I was like, yeah. what's this going to be <laughs> like? And then I was freaking out because I would forgotten my book. And, you know, so but this is great. I mean, it was a very, na- I feel like it was a very natural conversation. Yes. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, next time we want you to join the conversation.